people on mission, how to live as people who are part of Christ's kingdom, who acknowledge Jesus and his lordship in their life. And so we're in Matthew 7, the tail end of that, of that address, of, those, of these teachings. And I'm going to pray for us. We're going to jump right in. Um, some hot potatoes this morning from Matthew 7. Biblical hot potatoes. Be exciting. Lord, give us your grace this morning as we come to your word. Lord, we know ultimately that um, whatever is unclear to us or maybe just culturally lands in a particular way from your word, or that the problem is not with your word, is with us. And so we need grace and mercy to, to hear these teachings. And while they may be pointed and hard at different points, it is part of your love and grace to us to give them to us. And so, Lord, go before us now as we unpack these things together in Jesus' name. Amen. I thought that Matthew 7 would be a good opportunity to highlight a, a principle of biblical interpretation that it's always crucial for us to keep in mind. I had a seminary prof who, who would say, you know, we can quote scripture and commit heresy at the same time. And that's actually pretty true. There are certain verses in the Bible, uh, for example, if they are misapplied or taken out of context, can actually do great damage to people's spiritual lives. So, so for example, if, if I were to ask you how you were doing in your, in your walk with Christ, and you talked about how you were walking by grace and through faith, and that you were learning that your acceptance was not based upon uh, what, what you do for God, but what God has done for you, that you are justified by faith alone. And then I were to, and said, well, you know, well, that, that, that's all well and fine, but you know what James says. James says, show me your faith. You show me your faith by, by what you say. I'll show you my faith by what I do. We are not justified by faith alone. And I could, um, while those are literal words from the book of James, they would be ripped out of context because James is obviously talking about um, justification in a different way, not as a means of being made right before God, but a means of, of demonstrating who we already are uh, through our works. And that's just an example of how you can quote scripture and and do damage, commit heresy. And so here, here's the principle of biblical interpretation today. And I'm going to state it, then we'll see it from Matthew 7. And it's simply this, Scripture interprets Scripture. Which means that we need to understand what the whole of Scripture has to say about a particular issue um, if we want to have a full, biblical, comprehensive view of the truth of God's Word. Um, we need to understand the context of, of what Scripture says. And when things are unclear, um, we need to, in one part of Scripture, we need to go to a, another part of Scripture, other parts of Scripture, where it might be more clear. And, and this is what we find in the Bible, is this amazing unity, that despite the fact that the Bible is written by various authors in different genres over hundreds, not a couple thousand years of, of time, at the same time, there's a remarkable unity about who God is and who we are and how we're saved and what it means to walk as his people. And so we have no better illustration of this than Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. It is the one verse that 
society at large might be able to quote from the Bible. Um, it's one that is used to deflect the idea of, of, of imposing judgment or, or our personal judgments on people or making any sort of um, claims or judgment about people's lifestyle. It's, it's, it's the most often quoted verse in our postmodern culture. And here it is, verse 1 of chapter 7, Judge not that you be not judged. And, and which is kind of a, a standard quotation to, to pull from, from the Bible when someone wants to defend themselves for something that they're doing. If, if we're saying that something is wrong or something is, is not in accordance with God's word or is not true, it's, it's a go-to verse. Well, judge not. You, you, you judge me, I judge myself. Uh, but we, we're not to judge each other. We're not to bring any. We're not to exercise any sort of um, um, evaluative claim of our various standards of moral behavior. And so, so again, that's a verse. If you just looked at that verse, that could actually do great damage to spirit, people's spiritual lives, right? So, Pastor Paul, I'm thinking about leaving my family and starting my own life, and I say, well. Let's look at what God's word has to say about it. I believe that's wrong. I believe that's sinful. Judge not, Pastor Paul, judge not. See? Um, so, so, so if that's not what Jesus means, what, is, what does he mean here? Well, let's keep in mind that the Sermon on the Mount is, in fact, a call to exercise spiritual judgment over our hearts and lives. How many times has Jesus says he's giving us commands, like, for example, in, in verse 12 of chapter 7, the golden rule. Uh, so whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. Um, he's saying, as we're going to see in a minute, Lord, Lord, those who say, Lord, Lord, not everyone will enter the kingdom of heaven. He's talking about building our house upon the rock and not upon the sand. There is a whole, this whole, in fact, book is a call to exercise spiritual judgment. We see it in Matthew 18, where there is a process for, for church discipline, or if someone refuses to repent of sinful behavior, how we are supposed to call a brother to go along with us and then to tell it to the elders, then tell it to the church. And so so obviously, and we look at all the other passages in the New and Old Testament, um, this is the, that can't be what this verse means, that we're not to exercise any kind of spiritual discernment or judgment. Clearly, Jesus is talking about um, not exercising a particular kind of judgment, okay? So as, as, we, as we know, Jesus uses some hyperbole in Matthew, uh, the Sermon on the Mount, when he talks about, for example, if your eye is causing you to sin, to tear it out. It's, a, it's, a, it's an overstatement to emphasize a particular point. And so what Jesus is really interested in here is that we not exercise a particular kind of judgment. A particular kind of judgment that is full of hypocrisy, a particular kind of judgment that fails to look at our own faults before we look at the faults of others or try to correct the faults of others. He, he's talking about this sort of self-righteous judgment that it's easy to bring and that, in fact, the Pharisees and religious leaders, remember that's part of the backdrop of what he's teaching against, um, we're exercising upon others. So, so for example, look here in chapter 7, verse 3. 
Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? That was the Pharisees to the hilt, right? Um, they, they did exercise right judgments in accordance with certain aspects of the law. But as we know from earlier in John, I mean, in Matthew chapter three, their hearts were far from God. They were trying to get the speck out of other people's eyes without seeing the great sin or the log in their own eyes. Notice that Jesus doesn't say that there isn't a speck in your brother's eye or that you shouldn't try to remove it. He simply says, first, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do you see how that works? So Jesus is saying, not that we shouldn't exercise judgments, okay, or, or correction or exhortation or rebuke. It's just that we should do it in a way where we are first taking stock of our own hearts and not approaching people self-righteously. Remember, hypocrisy is not, doesn't mean that we don't practice what we preach, okay? Because none of us practice what we preach perfectly. Hypocrisy is pretending to practice what we preach and when we really don't. And so Jesus is saying here, listen, um, there's, a, there's a right way to exercise judgment, a, white, a right way to rebuke, a right way to exhort. And that means, first of all, in a spirit of humility, taking stock of yourself and your hearts and, and looking in your own heart. And then in a way that seeks to restore um, your brother, that seeks to correct him for his own good and the glory of God, then you can approach people about the sin in their, in their own life. And so, so he's speaking here about a certain kind of judgment. And, and clearly, we need to take this to heart, right? Very easy for us to do, to stand in righteous judgment over our culture, for example. When Paul's very clear in 1 Corinthians 5, don't worry about the culture. Don't worry about the world, okay? It's going to act like the world. Don't be surprised. Instead, exercise a judgment over your own hearts, over the church, the set-apart, called, chosen, holy people of God. Um, a second passage I want to point out, again, that's that's pertinent. It's, it's, it's actually two passages, but again, it's all part of one discourse to him, where it talks about, in verse 15, a tree and its fruit, and then verse 21, I never knew you. And it's important to, to again, these are open to, to misinterpretation, um, and, and we need to understand what Jesus is saying here. And the first one about a tree and its fruit, he's fundamentally saying that you can't claim to be a Christian and then practice unrighteousness as a lifestyle, as a pattern. Doesn't mean that you're perfectly righteous, not by any means. What it means, though, is that, a, as he says here, you will know a tree by its fruits. Um, healthy trees bear good fruit, diseased trees bear bad fruit. A, be a healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. And he says, then every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. And so, so again, this is aimed at the hypocrisy of the religious leaders, again, who were... Um, who were focused on the finer points of the law in order to bring judgment and control over people, but as Jesus says, neglected the weightier matters of the law. That's what he says in Matthew 5, of, of mercy and peace and justice. This is why 1 John tells us, you, you know, if, if, for, if, you, 
if you say that you know him, but yet sin, okay, um, and he's talking about habitual sin, then the truth is not in you. Um, if you say that you know Christ, but hate your brother, the truth is not in you. The, the principle here is to say that um, as believers, there's a pattern of righteousness that is to distinguish our lives at the heart level. And the Pharisees were people who did not typify this. And so just by the virtue of the fact that they um, neglected the weightier matters of the law and they had inward hearts that were far from God. This is why Jesus says in verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father is in, who is in heaven. So in other words, the, the picture here is that people are gathered around the throne of Christ on judgment day. And, um, and they're saying, Lord, Lord, we, we, we knew you. Oh, Lord, Lord, we, um, um, we did this and we did this and we did this, kind of like the Pharisees. We tithed our, 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 our mint and cumin. We didn't take so many steps on the, on the, um, on the Sabbath. We abided by these Old Testament stipulations. But what is he, what is he going to say? Depart from me, I never knew you, you workers of lawlessness. Again, um, it's, a, it's a warning for people who would presume upon the grace of God, who would say, um, oh, Pastor Paul, I've, I, the reason I'm a Christian, I prayed that prayer. I've, I've known God my whole life. I've, I've followed, I've, I acknowledge him. I've been to church. I've, done, I've fed, fed homeless people at the food bank. I've taught Sunday school. But again, Jesus has a deeper standard and says, okay, I, that, that's all peripheral. It's not that it's unimportant, but does it signify a heart change for you? Do you know me? Do you have a living relationship with me? So, so both of these passages are not saying that you can lose your salvation. They're not saying that you earn your salvation by works. Again, they're talking about a transformed heart that yields the fruit of righteousness and obedience. And that ultimately, um, it is the grace of Christ transforming our hearts is that what saves us, okay? So Martin Luther um, um, had a great equation for this, okay? He says, faith alone saves but you're never saved by faith that is alone. Okay, think about that. Faith alone saves. Okay, you're 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 saved by grace by through faith alone. But your faith, if it's genuine, is never alone. It's never by itself. In other words, it yields the fruit of righteousness. We're going to see that in First Peter um, this week when it talks about what it means to live lives of holiness um, to God to God's glory. Okay, so wrap this up. Um, what we're saying here is that when, when certain scriptures appear to be unclear or, or appear to contradict things that we hear in other parts of scripture, we need to bring all of God's word to bear upon that particular issue that's called uh, systematizing our theology or systematic theology, um, and to use one part of scripture to bring clarity um, around another part of scripture. Um, we're also learning here that... Um, that, that's, that's super important when it comes to issues about making judgments or evaluating the, the, the fruit that we see in our lives or our confession of faith. Again, all those things are things that we want to bring the whole word, word of God to bear upon as we look at. So Jesus thus concludes his teaching, Sermon on the Mount, on the mountain, the second Moses, 
And it says that when he finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority. And again, here's the key point, and not as their scribes, okay? So he's teaching, um, the reason his teaching has authority, it's based upon the word of God, not upon human traditions. And just a great exhortation to us, church, Jesus ends this discourse by saying, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house upon the rock. And, and may we be the people of God building our house upon the word of God and all that we do. And I'll pray that that'll be true for you. Pray that it'll be true for me. And let's commit um, these words, these teachings to the Lord. Heavenly Father, we pray, Lord, that we would be most consumed with doing your will, blessing you, honoring you, being holy, called, set apart, not because it saves us, but because it demonstrates that we are saved. Lord, we want to be people of the word. We want to be able to make, make right judgments, not judgments based on self-righteousness and hypocrisy, but ones that are based upon love uh, for others. And Lord, we want, to, we want to begin that process in our own hearts. Father, we want to be um, people who um, do not know you peripherally or, or have a mediated knowledge or relationship with you, but we know the living Christ through his word. We ask that you would make it so in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us, Four Oaks. Same time, same station tomorrow, Matthew chapter 8. See you then.